So at this time, if you'll open your Bibles to John chapter 11, we'll begin our study in this chapter. We're going to meet some new characters, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. We'll have a couple of stories with them before it's all said and done. Before we go to this passage, let's go to the Lord quickly again and ask for help as we open his word. Lord, we pray that you would bless uh, our study of your word, that you would open your word, that we might be convicted of our sin, that we might be led to the truth, instructed in our own lives, encouraged in our own ministry, that you would help us to seek you for rest as we read the truth of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as I read this passage and how Jesus interacts with the two women here, Martha and Mary, concerning the death of their brother Lazarus, it really uh, reminded me of times as a pastor when I've had to counsel people in times of grief and in times of personal difficulty. And it's one of the most difficult things I had to do as a pastor. And a lot of that has to do with my own difficulties in doing that, my own understanding of doing that, and just the fact that people, when people lose things, it's, it's hard. And one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with as a pastor was the death of one of my youth when I was in Mississippi. He was a 12-year-old boy, and he died while I was there. I was really young. I was like 25, 26 years old. I had no idea really how to talk to this family. I had no idea how to talk to his friends. I had no idea how to deal with it myself concerning this this untimely death. It was difficult. And I still count it as one of my major failings as a pastor. I was just completely distraught with this idea of what do you say to someone who is grieving? What do you say to someone who has experienced this kind of real loss? I had no idea what to say. So I just... Sadly, didn't say anything, didn't do anything. And so thankfully, Scripture gives us a guide, not only in dealing with our own grief and our own personal loss and struggles, but dealing with the grief of our fellow believers, even the lost people as they deal with grief and what they're going through. In our story today, Jesus is dealing with real loss, with real grief, the loss of a friend. And he also in his own grief, must deal and counsel with the sisters of this friend as they're dealing with their own grief. And so Jesus is going to say some very important things, ask some important questions concerning grief for the loss of these two women. And incredibly, Jesus deals with them in two completely different ways, yet meeting both of their needs and answering both of their questions. And so with his answers, with his interactions, we could... It gives us a great pattern, I think, and a great guide for understanding loss, not only understanding loss, but helping us to, with the message of the gospel, offer hope to other people. And so with that, we'll consider three main ideas as we look at this passage. Jesus is the purpose for the grief, Martha's need and her answer, and then Mary's need and her answer, which is just was just finding a friend in Jesus. So with that, let's read the text together, standing together as we read John chapter 11, verses 1 through 37. Now a certain man was ill, 
Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who, who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when the Lord heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after he said, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were, were just seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, will, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go, that we may die with him. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went to her sister, saying in private, The teacher is here, and he's calling for you. When she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but he was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with him in her house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he have opened the eyes of the blind, also have kept this man from dying? Amen. This is God's word. You can be seated. <clears throat> So for a bit of background here, we're told of this family, a brother, two sisters. They're very close with Jesus. We read about them in other places in Scripture and other Gospels. We are told they're from Bethany, which is a small city outside of Jerusalem. Mary, one of the, one of the sisters, is the one who anoints Jesus with perfume, which she'll do in the beginning of chapter 12, and we'll read that story. And these sisters, Mary and Martha, send for Jesus 
because Lazarus is dying. Likely because what have they seen Jesus do? They've seen him heal the sick. And so they know that he can do something about it since he's been doing that for a while now. However, Jesus doesn't come and he deliberately chooses not to. He decides to stay, to stay two days longer, which we're going to learn about as we go on through this passage, why he chose to do that. However, we learned that by the time he gets there, Lazarus is, is dead. And again, we know by now, as we've been going through this book, that Jesus always has a reason for doing things. He's very deliberate about the way he does things, even though we always aren't told that reason. But in this passage, we are given reasons for what he did and why he did it, both with Lazarus having the illness to begin with and why he waited a while before going to see him for Lazarus to die. And so from these reasons, we get insight into his interactions, not only with the disciples, but with Martha and Mary. And so let's go now to this first point that Jesus' purpose for the grief are here. And so what is the first reason that Jesus gives for Lazarus's illness, for his own glory? He says, and for your sake, I'm glad, no, sorry, go back up a little bit. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God might be glorified through it. This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God. Of course, the trouble with this that we immediately see is Jesus tells his disciples in just a few little little bit after this that Lazarus does die. And so what does he mean by this illness does not lead to death? Well, obviously, Jesus knew at this time what he was planning to do. He knew that he was planning to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so in the end, ultimately, Lazarus is not going to be dead, but he's going to be raised. And so just like we are told with the blind man in John chapter 9, we are told that this illness is for the glory of God. Now again, does that mean that God saw the illness that was there? He saw Lazarus's illness and he responded to it, somehow using it for his glory? Or does it mean that God purposed the illness for his glory? Hopefully by now, through the teachings of Scripture, through the teachings of this particular book, we know that God is never surprised. He does not react to anything. He purposed this illness in Lazarus that he might get the glory. And I think that's a very important anchor for us with any kind of badness that is in the world today, that God is getting the glory for it. Whatever goes on, Whatever happens, there is a God. He doesn't do random. He doesn't allow random. He has foreordained all things that come to pass. According to the counsel of his own will, according to his own authority, these things happen. Now this event also, we have to understand as we continue to read, is going to lead directly to, or indirectly to, Jesus' final arrest and his ultimate crucifixion. And he knows this. 
But yet, he's going to raise this man from the dead that he might get the glory. And he's going to receive the glory. And he continues to receive glory for it today as we preach about it, as we talk about it, for this resurrection miracle. And I think he wants to ground us there. He wants to ground his disciples there. But secondly, he does this so that we might believe. We read this. His disciples were concerned about him going to Judea because he was wanted there for blasphemy and Sabbath breaking and Jewish leaders just didn't like him and they wanted him dead. And so Jesus makes a distinction here again between those that walk in light and those who walk in darkness. Again, this theme of belief is given to us strong here. The disciples believed, but what did Jesus plan to do for them? Strengthen their belief. I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. There are many who did not believe, and Jesus planned to do a work there that would cause them to come to believe. He planned to raise Lazarus from the dead, and this doesn't just happen every day. And again, look at there at verses 11 through 15. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there that you may believe this happened to this family so that others might be strengthened in their belief so that the disciples might be strengthened in their belief remember the the man born blind it happened that you might believe turn to james chapter one with me real quick and we'll see one of the reasons why the lord does this James chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So for whatever reason, this, these trials, these difficulties that we come about in life, are how the Lord chooses to make us more like him. It would be really nice if it just happened. If the Lord could just make us more like him, that this sanctification process that we are going through would just be an overnight thing. We fall asleep, we wake up the next morning, we're much more like Christ than we were. But however, we have to go through the difficulties of this life. We have to experience hardship. We have to go through grief and sadness because these things bring perspective. They help us to see what the Lord has done for us. They help us to see what he's doing for us. And thus we become more and more like him. There are going to be some things on this earth, however, that we're never going to be able to look at this side of heaven and say that was a good thing because it hurts too much. And that's okay. But the scriptures help us to gain perspective on what God is thinking concerning these moments in our life. And we have God here 
that he also expresses sadness towards the things that are going on. And so he's, he's, he's right there with us. But yet these things happen so that we might believe, so that we might be strengthened in our belief. Again, everything that goes on in our life, it's, it's going to be hard for us to apply this sometimes, but it helps us to know that the Lord is right there with us in these difficult times. And so with that, let's look there at his response to Martha and her need, and her need happens to be just an answer. And so look at 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. What does that mean? Well, uh, you can read a lot of sources that say that the Jewish idea concerning the soul after death was that the soul would actually hover over the body for three days, hoping to gain re-entry. And then after three days, the soul would leave. And so the fourth day would have been the time when it was too late for Lazarus to kind of come back on his own. And so some commentators have said this is why Jesus waited four days so that no one would say the soul kind of came back on its own. Um, maybe that's maybe that's the case. We don't know for sure. Uh, but again, Jesus is seeking his glory. He is seeking that we might believe. Um, however, he may have waited four days on purpose so that there'd be no question here. But Martha finds Jesus. She hears that he's she hears that he's here. She runs out to meet him. Mary stays in the house and she says to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What sort of emotion is she showing here? She's confronting Jesus. She's probably angry a little bit. However, she kind of qualifies her statement with, but even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She knows what Jesus is capable of, but she's angry. She's upset her brother is dead. And she knew that Jesus could have stopped this. But Jesus responds, responds your brother will rise again. And I love her response. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. She gets all theological on Jesus all of a sudden. She says, yes, I know that he will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. She knows the teachings of the scriptures. She knows the doctrine of the resurrection. She knows that one day the Lord is planning, planning to bring back all of his children on the last day, that they will rise. She knows that. However, Jesus isn't talking about that resurrection, but he, re he recognizes that Martha, being a thinker, being a theologian of sorts, is in need of a theological answer, and he gives it to her. Sometimes, I think, when counseling, when dealing with people who are in the midst of struggle and who are dealing with people who are in the midst of some kind of pain, whether it's from loss of a loved one, financial problems, marital problems, lots of different things that go on, and you guys have lived long enough to know that the world is crazy and just about anything can happen, and it does. Some people are in need of this theological answer, and they'll come to you with a theological question concerning their problem. 
It doesn't happen all the time, but people like Martha do exist. I know I'm one of them. I like to have the answer. I like to know the why. I like to know the how. Something like this goes on. I want to know what the Lord is thinking. A 12-year-old boy dies while I'm his youth pastor. I want to know why, Lord. What is your thinking behind this? I want to know. Remember that there are answers to these questions. However, we're not always going to be given these answers. Sometimes the answer is you wouldn't understand. How the Lord answers Job, essentially. Were you there when I made lightning bolts? Were you there when I crafted everything in the world? Job, you wouldn't understand. However, that answers at least some kind of finality. The truth is comforting. It's a comforting thing to me. It's a comforting thing to all of us, to some degree. It's a comforting thing to Martha. And so what truth does Jesus deliver to her? He gives her this treatise on the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. You're waiting for this resurrection to happen on the last day. I am the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I am doing this that you may believe. And if you believe in me, you will have everlasting life. This is the hope of the Christian life. Even in Martha's desperate time of need, she is given the truth of the gospel to soothe her soul. Because remember, the truth of the gospel is the ultimate comfort in life. There is no other comfort outside of the gospel in this life. Whether it be because of our own sin, because it, whether it's because of death in the world, because it's a bad marital issue, a financial issue, whatever issue people are going for, the comfort that they need is the comfort of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and his resurrection give us victory over any sin and all death. And he says, Martha, do you believe this? And I love Martha's profession here. It's one of the clearest professions of faith in Scripture. She leaves very little doubt of her faith in Jesus Christ. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Many times, folks will point at Martha, as you read other stories in Scripture, and they'll say, remember that time that Martha didn't worship Jesus when she should have? You guys all know the story about Mary and Martha having a dinner with Jesus, and Martha's the one in the sup in the kitchen preparing, and she's often kind of painted as this legalistic woman, which is really sad because that's not at all what's happening there. That she should have been at the feet of Jesus. Well, we should be very slow to criticize this woman after reading her profession of faith here because she gets it. She understands exactly who Jesus is. She understands exactly what he's doing on this earth. Whatever her other hang-ups may have been, she knew what the mission of Jesus was. And fantastically, she gets the whole thing that's about to happen with Palm Sunday and Easter and all this stuff going on. 
she professes that way before that even happens. Turn to Psalm 118 with me. Psalm 118, we'll look at verses 22 and following. Remember, coming up in chapter 12, we're going to have the the procession that goes through the streets for the palms and the people throwing their coats and the people shouting, Hosanna. Well, Martha says that here. She quotes from Psalm 118, starting at verse 22. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Verse 25, this is where we get the Hosanna. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. This is Mary's, This is Martha's profession. This is what they're going to be singing in the streets. Yet Martha, in her private audience with our Lord, says here, Hosanna, you are the one to come. You are the coming Redeemer. It's incredible in the face of such grief that she's able to confess her Lord. And honestly, I won't say this is the way that we have to do it or we're bad people because I haven't really experienced this kind of grief. I've been very fortunate in my life, and I don't know that kind of grief. But we're about to see a very different response from her sister. But I think Martha's profession here shows a tremendous amount of faith and trust in her Lord. And so she gets up and she goes and finds Mary. And then we'll see next. the next point here is Mary and her need, which is much different. <clears throat> and so look there at 28. She goes to Mary in private. She says, the teacher's here and he's calling for you. She runs and finds him. She heard. She rose quickly. She went out to him. And this whole procession now follows Mary out to the graveside of Lazarus where they find Jesus. And if Martha is the thinking and analytical type, then Mary is much more feeling. She's very expressive. We see this oftentimes of her in Scripture. She's a very expressive person. She she sees Jesus, and what does she do? She falls at his feet and begins to weep, and she asks of him a similar question. Lord, if you had just been here, why weren't you here? If you had been here, he would not have died, and she weeps. And I love Jesus' response here, and let's not miss it. Remember, Martha was given a theological answer. Look at verse 33. What does Jesus do in his response to Mary? When Jesus saw her weeping... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit. And he was greatly troubled. And I think we get this. You know, when you see someone else upset and you know why they're upset, or maybe you empathize with them, you're also upset about the issue. This was Jesus' friend here, Lazarus. He has this great empathy. He understands their grief. Jesus is the God-man, a man with friends and feelings, and he feels sad. Even though this is all his orchestration, he's sad. 
And this word, this Greek word for deeply moved, it's a very complicated word to translate into English because it's a term that denotes empathy and sorrow, but it's also a term that has anger intertwined in it. Why would Jesus be both sad and angry concerning the death of Lazarus, concerning the mourning of the friends and and Mary around? Jesus has moved so deeply in this way. He's moved to tears. We read that there in verse 35 that he wept when he saw this. Why was he so angry? Why was he so moved? This is why he came, isn't it? To seek and to save the lost. To turn death on its head. And it angers him. It gives him with this, it moves him with this profound sorrow. This is the condition that his people, those he came to save, are in. They're in the midst of this sin and this death that he's coming to deliver them from. And it's hard. And he knows that he has to face this on the cross. He knows that he has to face this sin and death face to face and deal with it face to face. And so this moves him to profound sorrow and he he weeps there with them. And so don't miss this. What's he doing with Mary? Does Mary need an answer? Does she need a theological uh, essay written? No. She just needs someone to cry with her. This is how he consoles her. This is how he answers her. He weeps with her. She didn't want an answer. She just wanted someone to cry with her. And I think one of the most difficult things for me that I've learned as a pastor Sometimes people don't want an answer. Sometimes they just want you to be there with them. And that's hard for me because I'm an answer person. I think I've always got the answer, sadly. But that's not always true. Sometimes people just want us to be there with them. Sometimes people just want us to console them by being there, by not saying anything, by weeping with them, by understanding their grief. He didn't have any consoling words for Mary, but yet he could have offered any infinite number of consoling words for her. But he just wept for her. And so for us, in conclusion, I think this provides a really good pattern for us. Sometimes as we deal with the sin in this world, be it through death or destruction, some kind of personal loss, we encounter folks who want an answer. And other times, we encounter folks who just need a friend. They want us there for them. Maybe they have the answer. Maybe the questions will come later. Maybe they won't. And it's okay for us to weep. I've talked to many believers who think that it's wrong for them to be upset about grief and sin. And who think it's wrong for them to, to long for something better in this world. That's not at all the case. Jesus did here. He was more deeply moved than we can know. If we aren't sorrowful, I would even go on to say, if we aren't sorrowful for the sinful state of this world and our own flesh, then we have no idea what awaits us that Jesus is preparing us for even now. And so as we minister to one another, we do so sometimes with great sorrow. However, we must never take our eyes away from the Savior, who is right now, even as we speak, making all things new. 
while on this earth, he felt sorrow, he felt anger for sin, and he did something about it as the only one who could. He became the sacrifice for our sins, so that our sins were paid for, and he rose from the dead so that death would be conquered. So sin and death are still our enemies on this earth, but their power is waning because they stand defeated. And so let us, brothers and sisters, let us minister to one another with this in mind, that our Lord has delivered us from evil, that these enemies of ours hold no power over us, ultimately. And and for the lost, as we weep with them as well, and that's something we should do, because sometimes that's what they want. They want someone who doesn't have all the answers, because we don't have all the answers. But, nevertheless, let us proclaim the resurrection power of our Lord Jesus Christ as the only power to save. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we come to you oftentimes um, angry at the sin in this world, sad at loss or whatever. And so, Lord, help us to see the truth of the gospel through that. But Lord, also help us to weep. Help us to feel deeply moved as you were at the the pain and the condition in this world as we seek and save those who are lost, as we seek and share the gospel with those who are lost, and as we minister to one another as we walk on this side of heaven. Lord, we thank you that you are preparing a place for us even now where these things will no longer exist. But help us to minister as we continue to walk through them even now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.